Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and today we're going to have some fun. I can't wait. We're going to talk about fun. We're going to talk about playing and how important it is. And I've got one of my all-time favorite people going to be joining me, Dr. Eric Tonis. He's a professor and department chair of theology at Biola University, Talbot School of Theology. He's also a pastor at Grace Evangelical Free Church in La Mirada, California. He's written a lot of books, but we don't need to talk about those. Eric, welcome. Thanks, Bill. Good to be with you again. Yeah, I'll talk about your books at some time. I always want people to buy books uh, from my guests that come on. But I think today's important is, uh, topic is going to be almost like a therapy session for me. Oh, good. I hope so. Yeah, because the whole concept of physical fitness and, and playing and the importance of all of that, I think, is an incredibly important topic, especially one that we need to talk about after two years of COVID. Yes. Yeah, being being quarantined and isolated and uh, concerned and even fearful, as so many have been, it, it's time for some play, running out in the park and, and having fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe we should start with a little working definition of what is play. Yeah, so I... I as a kid, you know, I had some challenges in my life, and I found play to be uh, just what you said at, at the beginning. It, it was therapeutic. I didn't realize it at the time, but it was a source of mental health, emotional health, and spiritual, and, and of, course, of course, physical health, health that, that I wasn't really conscious of, but during challenging times I would go through, I would... I would find myself drawn to Colony Park, which it wasn't far from my house, and I would head there, and I would go off into another world, and mm-hmm. it was wonderfully perspective-bringing and refreshing, and and the the ability to enter into the world of play was incredibly good for my soul, and I I, I can't understate, uh, I can't overstate the the importance of it in my life. And so there are elements of play that make it what it is, that provide that sort of benefit that is so helpful. And so uh, the way I've defined it is that it is a fun, imaginative, non-compulsory. You don't have to do it. You can't command play. Mm -hmm. It's really going to be play. It's non-utilitarian. It's not focused on the practical outcome. And it's filled with creativity and spontaneity and humor, and it provides perspective and diversion and rest from from the daily work that we necessarily have to do. And as a Christian, especially, I want to define play because play can become an idol. Mm-hmm. Play can I become agree. something we we overemphasize. I don't know if you've ever heard the expression that in American culture we tend to worship our work work at our play and play at our worship. And 
and it, it means we, you know, work is, is how we define ourselves. We worship it, and we work at our play. In other words, it's, it's what we're working for so we can recreate, and we live for the weekend. And we play at our worship. We, it's the thing we, we these days tend not take as seriously as, as anything. So, um, so yeah, so it, it provides perspective. It, it's something that should be is a necessary part of good sports and games. If there's a lack of playfulness, it loses the joy. It loses what what games are intended to provide for us. And so it's an incredibly important thing. Uh, Christians a lot of times don't know what to do with it because it seems frivolous when people are dying and need Jesus and people are hungry around the world and wars are raging. How can we play? Well, we have hope because Jesus is going to win. And so in light of that hope, we're able to play with a reckless abandon. Mm-hmm. In your article that you wrote in, in the uh, Gospel uh, Coalition, Coalition, yeah, yeah. Uh, you made some great points. I mean, your your first point about ob- observing a bunch of fi- five-year-olds getting a tennis lesson, because yeah. I used to teach tennis, so I, I know exactly what you were talking about, <laughs> how, uh, you know, the instructor was asking these kids to, uh, you know, run back and forth over a 10-foot span. Uh, they did more than that. They were skipping, leaping, bounding, hopping, spinning, laughing, imitating animals, running with eyes closed, dramatically <laughs> falling, jumping up and down, and crashing into one another. Those are kids that yeah, know how to play. That's right. Yeah. And, and and what I mentioned in the article is I appreciate that their their tennis coach understood that play should be part of learning a game like tennis. And mm-hmm. obviously it's almost impossible to keep a lid on play with a bunch of kids running around. Uh, there were five-year-olds actually at this lesson. So if you, if you try to keep a lid on play <laughs> for five-year-olds, you're, you're going to be really frustrated. And, and obviously you want them to learn something right. and there, there needs to be, you know, we're here. The parents are playing, probably playing lots of paying lots of money for that <laughs> lesson. So you want them to get something out of it that they couldn't just do at the park. Mm-hmm. But but at the same time, you have to have a huge allowance for playfulness because you know that tennis racket's going to become a guitar in no time. And <laughs> you just need to let it be that. And they're going to ride it like a horse. And, and if you don't have a huge allowance for play, then you just don't understand what sports is about and what games are about. And, and so, yeah, it was a great example. And I contrast that with that same week I saw that hearing about a parent who who got arrested because this father was actually uh, putting putting drugs in the water source of his kids' tennis opponents oh. so that they would be lethargic on the court and and his kid would win. I mean, it, it's evil. I mean, so, he, so sports can be either a source of great joy or it can be a source of idolatry that that's as evil. Mm-hmm. Eric, don't you remember one of the very first things, if you ever for a second suggested you were bored at home, your mom would either give you a job to do, like go clean the garage, <laughs> or, or, or the common order was just go out and play, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. And, and I fear that the ability to do that, to just go out and play, is is something that even kids are are less and less proficient at because we're we're so, we've always got entertainment at our fingertips literally you know with video games and yeah. and Netflix endlessly and and so I've heard I've I've read quite a bit on on the helpfulness of boredom that that when you feel like 
that entertainment isn't being handed to you and you're somehow responsible for for finding something interesting to do that it it, it actually creates a, an ability to think and be creative and and overcome your boredom in your own resourcefulness rather than it being handed to you all the time mm-hmm. and so we're stunted in the way human development should be taking place because we're bombarded with with entertainment and being handed off to us instead of creating it to some degree ourselves. So when you were young, Eric, and you went to Colony Park, what did you do when you got there? Well, that was the beauty of it. I, you know, I, I'd see some friends there, and even if I couldn't find any friends, I, it, it could be everything from a fairly well-organized baseball game to a crazy football game, uh, tackle football game where – People were coming home bloody, and and we were just having a blast doing that. To playing hockey on the pond there, to running through the woods and climbing trees and and making swords out of sticks and and acting like we were pirates. And it was it was this wonderful world of seemingly unlimited opportunities to creatively, spontaneously. Uh, and all those adjectives I used to describe how I define play actually do that. And and to be a kid, to to not have parents hovering over us all the time and solving all our problems. And I, in in one one day at the park, I'd get in a fight and resolve it. I would fall in a stream and wring out my clothes. I would. I would get something stolen, stolen by somebody, and, and I mean, it was amazing the amount of uh, character-shaping development opportunities I had in one day with no structure imposed on it, uh, no no adults making the rules, but but just kids being kids. It, it grieves me how how often I, I see kids who don't get to have the kind of childhood I had playing in that sort of way. And Eric, you would go to the park and you would find all these friends to have this game with and you would divide teams up and you guys would establish rules and, and you would do your very best of making sure the rules were obeyed. I mean, that's there was something about the, the management uh, principle that you learned on that playground environment that was pretty meaningful back then. It was. And, I, and it, the beauty of it, it was I didn't even realize how much I was learning and how much I was being shaped because I was just playing, right? And, that, and that's part of the magic of it. And I'll tell you, when I started studying this uh, as a as a theologian, as a a Christian academic, I I was really concerned about it because, and we, you and I have talked about humor, and you're the expert on that as a as a, a comedian who's actually done one of the hardest jobs in the world, trying to make people laugh when they're expecting you to do it. But it, when you when you examine things like play, like humor. You can almost kill the thing if you're not careful because there's something about it that's just magical, that mm-hmm. it is so human that you can't – you don't want to overly define it. You, mm-hmm. you don't want to overly think it. Now, I, I was compelled to do this because of how often I, I can sin in the context of play because it can become too important that I win this game. My, too much of my identity can be based on my success at this game I'm playing, and, and I, I kill the play in that. That's why I think competition and play should, should beautifully go together. But you're right. When, when kids get together, they make up rules. 
And sometimes the rules cohere with well-established games like sports that we play. But sometimes it's a new new game you entirely made up because you found some some big, you know, leftover piece of plastic <laughs> that you want to make believe is a parachute and you want to actually see if you can jump off the roof of the house and if it'll work. Mm-hmm. And so so you make stuff up from scratch almost. And and the beauty of it is when you do it with somebody besides yourself, you commit to this world of make believe and act like these rules really exist in a way that matter. And that's the magic of it, that, that you get to create this world. And, and it'll have boundaries sometimes or time limits or when the game is over or how the game is won. And, and that, that's just part of the, the wonder of it all that we're able to enjoy as, as kids. But hopefully we don't lose that childlike ability to be playful. So important. Take a little break. Dr. Eric Tonis is our guest. We're talking about why we play. Uh, holy play and should Christians care about physical fitness that's all coming up lots more in just a minute the show. Dr. Eric Tonis is my guest, and uh, surprise, Eric, uh, Peter Kapsner is joining us starting right now. Hey, Peter. <laughs> hey, you know, not only can T-Dog handle uh, it just in, in, in articulate ways Old Testament characters, he comes on in that point, he, he definitely handles really complex theological topics, and now we're talking about play with the guy. I mean, yeah, is no. there anything he can't do, Bill? No, nope, there's just, it's amazing. absolutely nothing he can't do. No, nothing. No. <laughs> No, there are only a few things I can do. That's more like <laughs> it. Uh, yeah, my my wife can, is good at about seventy things. I can do about four. <laughs> <laughs> so, as we talk about uh, playing today and how important that is, I just I didn't didn't make sense to me at the time. But my dad, uh, my stepdad, was the, a captain of two college uh, teams at the University wow. of Minnesota. So, wow. I mean, if you play one sport in college, you're doing pretty good. But if you're on uh, two, in, playing two sports in college, that's pretty cool. And he was captain of both teams. And every time I would come home from a hockey game or a baseball game and we'd be sitting at the, at the dinner table, his first question to me was always, did you have fun today? Oh, and I was beautiful. going, no, 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 but I, I asked me if we won because we won. I always wanted, to, I always wanted yeah. to tell him that we won. That's a wise dad right there. And his question was always, did you have fun? And fun was the goal. Yeah. That is really, really wise of him to Mm -hmm. do that. And and I have a lot. I've I've worked in sports ministry. I have a lot of friends who work in sports ministry. And I've had kids in athletics. And I've coached. And out-of-control parents who completely lose perspective and are trying to relive their glory days through their kids is one of the biggest problems, I think, in our society. And they lose perspective entirely. And yeah, you end up with brawls at games. And, <laughs> and, and, and kids, you, you shape kids so it, it all that matters is that they win and they lose perspective. And they don't learn the things they're supposed to be learning. They They get so... 
um, wrongly directed by parents who lose perspective. And don't ask that question. This is fun. Now, I bet you took it seriously enough, Bill, where he didn't have to try to get you to care, right? So that that's the other part of it. So on one hand, we can say uh, it, it, it's just a game. Who cares? And, and that's not healthy either, mm-hmm. because for a Christian, nothing is a throwaway, right? Nothing is trivial, because everything, whether eating or drinking, Paul says, do it to the glory of God. So if I can eat or drink to the glory of God, something I devote a lot of time and energy into, like a sport I play, should be something I seek to glorify God and, and take seriously to that degree that I want to I want to steward this opportunity well, these gifts God's given me. I want I want to use them to the glory of God. I want to be a good teammate and help my team accomplish the goals we set and be encouraging to my coach to be led by him in a way where where it's a joy to, to lead me. And so so you want to take it seriously, but and, and so you don't trivialize it and act like it doesn't it doesn't matter. But on the other hand, we can turn it into an idol. We can turn it into something we worship. We can turn winning into something we ruthlessly pursue in in a profoundly unchristian way. And so that balance between saying, hey, I can glorify God with this play, this game, this sport, but it's not an end in itself. It's actually a means to the glory of God. Eric, I, I, some of the most intriguing athletes to me over the years have been the people that are just ferocious competitors, but they're also very classy in defeat. Is there something even about the ability to bear witness as a believer that you're, you are there to have fun, but part of the fun is just testing yourself uh, or, or testing you with your team in a really fierce competitive way, but then turning around and being just the ultimate class in defeat. Can, can a Christian bear witness even in that kind of means? I I think – so one of the most significant things about sport is it's this intense laboratory for character development where in one hour, in a practice or in a game, you have an opportunity to cheat. You have an opportunity to be honest. You have an opportunity to tell the truth or lie about something, to, to give cheap shots or to pick pick a guy up off the ground after you knock him down and within the rules, to, to be um, – giving to be unselfish or selfish it's amazing how many opportunities you have to take a a righteous course or an unrighteous one a selfish one or an unselfish one and when I, i coached as well as played for years different sports and and i would say to my players i will never get on you for lack of talent i'll never get on you for for mistakes genuine mistakes you make but I'm not going to tolerate lazy, stupid, or selfish. And, <laughs> and, knowing that, <laughs> and yet you come on this show. <laughs> the irony, the, the bitter See, that irony. right there, that right there is why you're a comedian. It's all about timing. The timing of that was superb. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's right. But but perspective is huge. So I will never forget. I watched Michael Jordan's uh, NBA Hall of Fame acceptance speech, and then I watched David Robinson's. And Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player who's ever lived, in my opinion. And, 
I mean, no one's ever done it like he did. He transformed the game. But it was actually really sad for me to listen to his acceptance speech because he accomplished more than anyone ever has, and he still has so much to prove to people. And he was he was demeaning the high school coach who didn't didn't start him on his team. He was making sure everybody knew he was the man. And David Robinson got up, and he's thanking the guy who who provided the towels in the locker room. He, he's he's thanking the the, the doorman at the at the stadium. It, it was amazing how how he was able to have perspective and just be grateful instead of it being all about him. And and so yeah, an ability to to have a gratitude and understand the grace of God in what you're able to do is so vital to be the kind of person who actually is able to play with freedom. I think when the the sport isn't your God, you're actually able to play better than you would otherwise, because sports can be a wonderful gift, but it's a terrible God. And so, so we, if once we turn it into a God, it, it kills the thing in the way it's intended to be played. So Eric, let's talk a little bit about uh, competition and play. Uh, they, they should, they, obviously they do coexist, but, Talk, talk about that's not can sometimes be a very complicated relationship. Yeah, in my research on this, <laughs> I came across a fascinating quote, and and it was I can't even remember who said it right now, but but he said in the article I was reading, um, we hate the spoil sport more than the cheat. So somebody says, I don't care about this. this is stupid. It's a stupid game anyway, and I'm just going to ignore the rules and, and act like the, none of this matters. So that's a spoil sport. He said, we hate the spoil sport more than the cheat because at least the cheat act, acts like the rules matter as he, he breaks them, right? <laughs> that, that, that somebody, at least the cheat is committed to the game, even though he's breaking the rules. Uh, the spoil sport, who acts like it doesn't matter, just doesn't get what we're doing here. And so once, once you don't commit to this, this world of make-believe that we are, you, you just ruin the game. And so competition means this matters. Competition means we're really going to commit to this because we respect each other and what we've decided to do with the next hour and a half as we play badminton or football or whatever it is. We're going to commit to this and act like it matters, and that's actually what enhances play. So I've, I've watched in sports that – and it's not even just sports. It's, it's board games. It's chess. It's any, anything we do that has that sporting game aspect to it, that if you really care about it, the playfulness can be enhanced. Mm-hmm. If, you've ever, if you've ever played tennis, and some, every once in a while you'll hit a shot, and it'll, it'll sort of get – plopped on top of the net where you're not sure which side of the net it's going to fall on. And then, boom, it plops on your opponent's side, and you're like, yes! And they (laughs) they go, oh, no! That playfulness of that is what it is because you cared what side it fell on. Yeah. Eric, we're going to have to take a little break. We're up against a hard one. We'll be right back with Dr. Eric Tonis, and we're talking about play. It's the afternoon. 
just jumped in your car. We're talking about play today, which is, I think, a very important topic. Why we play, we're talking about holy play, and should Christians care about physical fitness? Our guest is Dr. Eric Tonis. I'm also joined by Dr. Peter Kapsner. And there is a great article in DesiringGod.org that Eric wrote, and I'll just read this part. The most stirring images of play in the Bible occur in attempts to express the joy and freedom experienced in the coming kingdom of God. One of the most vivid of these images appears in Zechariah 8.5. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. What a powerful image that is. I love love that image. Uh, and, and, and I think one of the challenges of the Christian faith is to take God really seriously, as seriously as we can, but not take ourselves seriously. And to have the kind of trust and hope in our Heavenly Father that a child should have who is completely secure in his ability to provide for us and protect us and and be everything we need him to be, that frees us to be children at play. And obviously in this world, in some ways, the Christian life is a war. It is a battle against principalities and powers in high places. We want to redeem the time for the days are evil. So Christians should be serious people. But because we have such profound hope in God's ability to keep his promises and care for us on a daily basis, but also ultimately and eternally, we can trust him with our lives to the point where there can be a playfulness in our lives that reflects that hope we have. Eric, is it at all appropriate to have even a playfulness with God in our conversations with God. I, I'm just thinking about the, the verse from John 15, 15, where Jesus talks about the idea that I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. Uh, for everything I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. I think about Abraham being called a friend of God as well. What, what does it mean to share a friendship with God in that way when clearly God needs to remain God in the situation? But how are we friends? And is there ever a playfulness in that? Yeah, I think playfulness should be woven into our lives, not just when we play games or sports, but when we're doing dishes with the family uh, in the evening, uh, flicking some suds in my kid's <laughs> face is really important, I think, and and getting a little water fight going occasionally and, and just having a playfulness to our lives, e- even even in our conversations, to to not not be so serious that that we don't indicate our hopefulness in God in that. So, see, I, I think playfulness should be woven into all of our lives and including our relationship with the Lord. And again, there's a tension here because we want to have a healthy fear of the Lord and we want to know him as a holy, consuming fire who in a very healthy way uh, stirs fear of him in a, in a biblical way. But at the same time, because he's made a covenant with us, he compares with a marriage, because he's our father and we're his children, because he's the groom and we're the bride, there's also a tender, eager ability to run into his presence the way a child runs into the arms of a loving father 
with a playfulness, with, with, a, with a sense that he loves me and he likes me and he's given me freedom as one of the children in his kingdom. So, so there can be a, just a, an exuberance and a, a lack of walking on eggshells with him because he's my father who loves me. Eric, stress and mental health issues are at an all-time high right now, and I'm just talking about Peter. Um, <laughs> hey, thanks for asking me my question. I just texted you, Bill. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, right. <laughs> but but um, uh, we have this wonderful uh, pharmacy of chemicals that got installed in our brain that we access yeah. with exercise we exercise with uh, playfulness we exercise with we have access to them because we do things like you know, going to the park and playing and um, getting into a you know a water fight uh, doing dishes I mean there's that does stimulate our, our brain that part of our brain that gives us some mm-hmm. joy and relief and reduction of pain and uh, so the the idea that we need to play I, I would imagine that pastors today should be encouraging their flock to play not only encouraging their flock to play, but but playing with them. Um, I, I remember I read an article a long time ago that talked about this, and, and the, one of the lines that struck me was, there's something wrong if you're your people as a pastor have never seen your legs. <laughs> and, you know, and the idea, the idea was that the legs were very impressive, right? And, and so, yeah, and so it means get out there and, and, and play, in, play in the softball game that starts when your church goes to the park. Get out there and have a little fun with the youth group now and then. Even if you're not a good athlete, that even makes it better almost if, <laughs> if you're willing to be awkward in front of the kids who are terrified of being awkward themselves. That You're setting an example of someone who doesn't take yourself so seriously in your image that, that does that. So, yes, I think, I think we as leaders, again, need to communicate the kind of hope we have in a sovereign good God so much that even though we're getting after it for the sake of the kingdom, realizing that we're, we're fighting against principalities and powers in high places, that, that we are so confident Jesus has won the day, that, that we can be playful people, that we can laugh well and deeply, and we can be examples of people who don't take ourselves so seriously because we take God so seriously. Mm-hmm. Eric, I tried to time this, so the last 20 minutes we talk about how Christians sh- should care about physical fitness. I think of even someone like Noah. I don't know how old he was when he started building the ark. What was he, 500? He was able to <laughs> hoist a big timber over his head. You know, you can't do that if you have sciatica. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is this is an interesting issue. I've, I've done a little work on this, done some interviews and things, but um, yeah, so... I don't want to overly emphasize this because Paul says that, that physical exercise is of some value, but he clearly, the Bible teaches us to put the emphasis on the state of our souls. And and so we, we need to have our priorities. And Paul was fighting a lot of cultural idolatry in this area, say in Corinth, which is probably the most superficially oriented culture you can imagine, except for Southern California. And, and, and so he's fighting this overemphasis on, 
on the physical, on on the the external. But the other side of that is we're we're made in God's image, and He makes us body, soul, and mind. And so, to care about our bodies, the physical fitness, I think, is a stewarding responsibility. Now, some people have disabilities that make it much harder. Some people have different challenges in maintaining this. So I, I don't want to again overemphasize it, but we we do have the gift of our bodies and as you were saying that there are endorphins there there are incredible benefits to valuing the body that God's blessed us with and stewarding it well caring for it well and enjoying the benefits of that that come with it you know one of the things i realize i have a son with disabilities that uh, throughout the years I, i've pretty frequently had to carry him now, thankfully, he, he still isn't over 100 pounds, even though he's 15. But but I've had to carry Isaac quite a bit, you know, when we're we're walking a long way and he just he has to tap out for whatever reason or we're doing a hike or going somewhere. And I'll never forget one day I was carrying him and I was thinking, wow, here I am in my 50s and I can still carry my son up a hill. Mm. And I thought back to when I was 12 years old and I started training for football and then kept that up my whole life. You know, for, for years, I was always trying to get more fit. And, and I thought to myself, how amazing that I was just trying to get fit for football, basketball, and track. But God knew that part of my fitness was going to be so I could carry my son when I'm in my 50s. And I thought of the beautiful sovereignty of God in that. And I was so thankful that I was able, I, I'm still able to do that. And and the the usefulness of of fitness, if you're able to have it, it is a tremendous gift. Eric, I, in terms of that physical fitness, you just is it as pragmatic as being able to just simply have the capacity in the day to be able to do more? It just opens up a range of possibilities if you are physically fit. We're not obviously talking about becoming idolatrous about it, but if you're not terribly physically fit, then you're just simply limited in the types of things that you might be able to do even in kingdom life. Yeah, I, I think that's beautifully said. I, the same thing would be, would be with other other resources you're able to acquire. So financially, if if I never have resources financially to 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 provide for others, well, maybe I should rethink the way I'm I'm stewarding my money and and. And so, yeah, I, I think that's a good way to look at it. I, I want to care for my body in a way where I'm able to be a blessing and encouragement. I, I may say, you know what, I'm not going. I'm only going to buy a car for five hundred dollars. Well, don't ask me for a ride to the airport because we probably won't get there. If that's <laughs> <gonna happen>. so, <laughs> in the same way, I'm just going to care about the spiritual life. Well, then you're not going to be much help if you can't even climb a flight of stairs. So. Uh, and again, there are people who have different challenges physically that that make those just the realities of their life, and I am not dismissing that. But but when we do have the ability to take care of ourselves, I think I think it's just stewardship to do that well. Eric, what what about when a person's identity in in a culture that uh, appreciates and and glamorizes uh, beauty and fitness when your appearance is a significant part of your identity? Yeah, I, 
I, I consistently, when I encourage people to, to exercise and take care of themselves, try to de-emphasize the appearance aspect of it, because that's not what it's about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we used to make fun of guys who had what they were a beach lifter. They'd go to the gym and all they do was biceps and chest. And they had these skinny little legs because they just, they just wanted to <laughs> impress people when they went to the beach. It wasn't about getting their heart strong and, and just taking care of their, their body in a way that's health focused. It's appearance focused, which is not what we're talking about here. Uh, yeah. An impressive appearance is not, the priority here it's it's caring for this incredible gift of this awesome machine that god's given us called our bodies you know nancy piercy's book love thy body is a fantastic book on this and it's amazing how she unpacks the connection between valuing the physical body and so many contemporary issues like transgenderism as if my body's irrelevant to who i am according to my sex abortion you know, it says, "Oh, it's just a clump of tissue." But this is this is a human being with a with a body, and and even homosexuality is is something that that has a disregard for the way God's created our bodies. And so there are so many issues related to the value of the body. Where one, we don't turn it into to something we worship, but on the other hand, we value it to the point where we see it as a tremendous gift from God that will be resurrected. See, that's the resurrection is the big exclamation point on this, that God, we don't just die and go to heaven. We die, go to heaven, and then we're resurrected physically as Jesus was, which shows us how much God values the body that now our physical bodies are incorporated into the eternal state. Mm. Great point, Eric. Dr. Eric Tonis is our guest. He's a professor and department chair of theology at Biola University, Talbot School of Theology, as well as pastor at Grace Evangelical Church in La Mirada, California. He's author of several books, including Life's Biggest Questions, What the Bible Says About the Things That Matter Most, and many more. We'll take a short break and be right back with more Eric and Dr. Peter Kapsner. Talking about play, a great topic. I love it. And Dr. Peter Kapsner has joined us. Our special guest today is our one and only favorite, Dr. Eric Thomas. And uh, Eric, uh, Peter made this really interesting observation during the break, and he texted it to me, and I thought, huh, you should share that, Peter. <laughs> I was just thinking, Eric, about what you said about the resurrection body as we were heading into break, and uh, thinking that we start our lives with uh, these growing, physically fit bodies that kind of peak out maybe in our 20s or our early 30s. Um, but at the same time, our spirit tends to be pretty immature or pretty unformed at those or, or even unfit at those stages. But I was just thinking if you could comment on that passage of scripture where it talks about that our outer body begins to waste mm-hmm. away, but our inward self begins to be renewed day by day. And I'm just thinking about the brilliance of joining that inward renewed self with the resurrection body that you were describing. Yeah, I, I... I think it's so important to think about this very idea because 
God has cursed this world in response to our rebellion. And Romans 8 is is the passage that I think of when when I think about this issue. And it, it tells us that the world has been subjected to futility by the one who made it. But why? So that we become the children of God who are going to be redeemed. And, and we're, in other words, not tempted to settle into this world because it's not what we're ultimately created for. And so so we've been subjected in a cursed world to thorns, thistles, sweat of the brow, pain in childbirth, and the ongoing uh, deterioration of our bodies. So from the moment we're conceived, we begin to die. And you don't really show the effects of that until uh, later in your life as much. But but it, to, to realize our impending death is the result of the curse, because the wages of sin is death, and that we're all dying. And so our outer man is wasting away in this cursed world. And that should be a serious wake-up call to not just live for this world, but live for the redeemed, resurrected state, and not just store up your treasures here. But but again, not to dismiss the physical world, but to see that it desperately needs to be redeemed. That That's the cause that we don't settle here, even though we value the here and now. That's the challenge of the Christian life is, is to make the most of every day, but realize that eternity makes every day seem like a drop in the bucket compared to what's coming. Mm, that's so good. Eric, does the gospel lead us to play? Yeah. Again, these these images of what's called the eschaton, the the eternal state, the the kingdom arriving that Jesus taught us to pray that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. So, the invasion of the kingdom is what Jesus brings as the Messiah, and that brings a playfulness. Just the fact that Jesus holds up a child in front of his disciples and says, "This this child epitomizes somebody who's in my kingdom." And you can't think of a child without thinking of playfulness and and trust of those providing for that child. And and so so the gospel that liberates us, that frees us from the bondage to decay, Romans talks about, the, the gospel that sets us free from slavery to sin and, and brings us into an adopted state as co-heirs with Christ— that changes everything. And now we're, our hearts are set free and we can live as people who have a sure future hope and a hope for, for every day of our lives. So, so absolutely, there, there's a exuberant uh, playfulness that we can have injected into our lives because of the assurance of the future that Jesus has, has bought for us. Mm. And play is so critical to human connection. I think of probably the most perfect game of playfulness would be uh, hide-and-seek with a little baby. Yeah, or peekaboo. You peek-a-boo. Know, peek-a-boo. yeah. Peekaboos <laughs> play, babies yeah. play peekaboo. And it's amazing how, uh, you know, a baby just can't even barely see, it, see when it's born, but man, when a baby laughs and when a, when a baby starts to play with you and laughs because of that, there's a bonding that happens. I'll, I'll never forget one time I, I played in, uh, I was in grad school after I was done playing football, but I, I continued to play flag football. And I was in this league, really competitive league in Chicago with all guys who had played professionally or in college. And, 
and it was really intense. And, and a friend of mine that I had played with in college was on that team, and he said, hey, come and join our team. And there were already a couple games into the season. So I show up, and there's that sort of peacock walking around, posing <laughs> thing before the game was going to start, the guys were all doing. And, and my friend Rick introduced me to the other guys on the team, and there was that tough guy sort of, hey, what's up? And, and it just was <laughs> And and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be tough to break into this thing. And about not even an hour later, I caught the winning touchdown in this game. And these guys who had been strangers 45 minutes before being tough guys, they're hugging me, they're they're grabbing me, they're rubbing my head, they're they're saying, yeah, boy. And and I thought, in normal life, it would have taken years to get to a hug with this guy. <laughs> But in the context of sport, it accelerated that relationship and that bonding so that 45 minutes later, we're hugging each other like we're lifelong friends. It is amazing how bonding it can be relationally. Mm-hmm. Mm. Eric, if, I, if I'm somebody who's forgotten how to play, do you have just some easy suggestions to, to start developing that playful spirit again? Yeah, I, I would find some playful friends. Uh, we, we tend to we tend to gravitate to people who affirm how we feel and think and, and relate. But I really encourage people a lot of times to say, look, if if you're growing in cynicism, don't don't surround yourself with people who affirm your cynicism. If you're, you know, apathetic, don't don't just make yourself feel better by hanging out with apathetic people. Challenge yourself to hang out with people different than you. And I think just people who have a playfulness as an example and an encouragement can be so helpful in this. And, and I don't know, buy a puppy, buy, buy a kitten, <laughs> buy, uh, do whatever it takes to, to re- regain a little childlike, not childish, but childlike joy in our lives. And, 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 Pursue a relationship with the Lord where you're experiencing the freedom that an adopted child who has his future and his eternity sure. Uh, and, and then, and then, yeah, just seek, uh, go for a walk in the park. Do things that get you out of just the routines of being productive and, and ask the Lord to give you a playfulness. And work in children's ministry. Do something to get yourself uh, playing again. Mm-hmm. Just don't wear shorts. You don't want to scare the kids. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is a, a question I have on, on watching sports, and it has to do as part of playfulness. And it's, I'm asking this in front of you guys to see if I'm alone on this. But when you see a touchdown scored or a home run hit, and you see that guttural scream of the person who just did it, that yes, and they're just almost uh, pounding their chest. And, and you feel like as you get a little bit older, you don't get to do that anymore. Or when do you ever do that? And I thought, you're, you, I kind of miss those days when, mm. when you've got that guttural response to this uh, catching the winning touchdown, Eric. Yeah, I, you know, I, we were talking about Romans 8 and the curse and, and the, that our outer man is wasting away and... So I'm 57, and there's a grief that I don't get to have the feelings I used to have when my body was this well-trained machine that could do things that were just amazing. And just the feeling of that, over time, the winning actually became less important, but the sound and the feeling Mm. of what, what 
you know, we call kinesthetic awareness and intelligence, that we're aware of our bodies to the point where it's exhilarating. And, and, and it, like you say, the team aspect of that and the camaraderie and, and getting better. And, and now it, it's all it's gone away. You know, I can still catch things, but man, my I'm, I'm just an old man now. And and. And feeling the effects of the fall is something I grieve over. Uh, I have a an ankle I broke in college that I, I really can't go running anymore. Even never mind play basketball like I used to. And and so the loss of that really does grieve me. But the point of that can't be missed. It's is to say that's right. This isn't all there is. Mm-hmm. And as much as I miss that and should grieve over the loss of that. It points me to the eternal realities of the resurrected life we have with God and what really matters most. So it puts it in perspective. And, and so to enjoy it and, and, and appreciate it. And that guttural scream you're talking yes, about, yes. I think what that is, is actually Genesis 1, rule over and subdue, be fruitful and multiply. That's a pre-fall command mm. to bring your personhood to bear on the created order that makes a difference. Yeah. And, and that athlete yeah. probably isn't thinking about Genesis 1, but I think that's what's going on, that yeah. he feels alive because he's making a difference with who God's made him yeah. to be. Eric, so much fun. Thank you so much for doing the show. It's been a blast. You guys are great. I love talking with you. Thanks so much. Dr. Eric Tonis has been our guest. We'll take a little break, and thanks to Peter Kapsner, of course. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to hear uh, talk to Natasha Crane. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.